Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 110, Jim Bob Williams, KDB, and special guest, Timothy Killalay, the improv firefighter. Two, one. Welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm KDB. And we have a special guest today, Timothy Killalay. Hello. Hey. Welcome. Thanks for having me on here. I'm very honored and um I, I hope I'm an awesome guest. Woohoo! And we Already. Okay, we met at the ATH conference in Mesa, Arizona, and I was really impressed by your idea to use humor in the application of resilience. Yes. So how did you get involved in the resilience business? I think I work as a firefighter is the easiest answer. But there's like a timeline of interest in community and personal resilience that starts even at an early age. And I just thought that resilience seemed to be the way that sort of also the personal, the word I would best describe, like how I want to be is to keep trying hard and to keep doing my best to overcome the challenges that come along my life. All right. Sounds so, amazing. Uh, and I just had a, a memory of sitting next to you at dinner or lunch. Lunch. So, yeah, I was there for like four hours at most. It was fast. But, and nice to see you again instead of just nice to meet you because we've already met. And to be honest, that conference was amazing. I had been to a different conference about 15 miles away and it was based around like behavioral health and it was really organized and structured, but the AATH conference, it just, it felt like I was amongst like friends that I'd met for the first time and what good learning and connection occurred there. It was awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And just meeting everyone there, like from like doctors to clowns, to nurses, to improv artists, like the TH, I tell as many people as possible to look up and consider joining because what wouldn't, why are we not integrating humor more into our lives? Yep. Thank you. Thank Ezra. you. Yes. Yeah. All right. So tell us as a firefighter, okay, what is the greatest need for a the greatest need? That is a wonderful question. Let me compliment more on how wonderful that question is while I come up with an answer. The greatest need, I think, is for, to be honest, I think it's loneliness. I think that there's a lot of what we're seeing in emergency response. Part of it comes from a lack of connection, a lack of, a lack of having people in your life. There are different ways that this plays out in if, for instance, I'm, my name is Mark, 
I'm 22. I'm living on my own for the first time. And you know what? I decided I'm going to make chicken wings. So I put the chicken wings in a pan and then I turn the, the stove top on and all of a sudden starts to smoke and the fire alarm goes off. And, oh no, <laughs> what happened? I didn't have anything to put the, a medium to cook the chicken wings in like an oil. And this is a kind of an example that I have is like this imaginary person didn't have other people in their life to teach them how to cook or something like that. And part of that comes from maintaining connection and reaching out to people. And in that way, like maybe Mark wanted to prep chicken wings for friends and then decided, okay, I'm inviting friends. I want to do it the right way. Yeah. Let me look up this process and prepare it the right way. I think loneliness is also plays out in different ways in that if we don't have our support networks, then what does anxiety look like in a medical sense? What does aging in place look like in a medical sense? And how important is it for someone to stop by and just see how you're doing every day? I think that's the greatest need is connection. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, that's fascinating because I know there's been a lot of talk about you know, the epidemic of loneliness in the United States actually it's pretty much the civilized world. Okay. The lack of community. And I know I've noticed over time, less people getting involved in the in volunteer organizations. So that is an interesting perspective because where I have been in the last couple of years post pandemic is and trying to get involved in volunteer with the free time that I have. I, I really like adventure. And part of that could be like fishing for bicycles that were thrown into a river, like wow. for trash cleanup. Wow. Um, what kind of bait do you use for that? Uh, I, a magnet. Oh. I just, I don't even have to use bait. The bikes come to me. They jump oh, right out. And it's, and it, honestly, I have a lot of fun because I like take the hook, I throw it in the water, and then I like, you're just pulling the rope, trying to get a purchase point with the bike. And it just, it's a wonderful thing to be like using your muscles for something good. Instead of like, if people see you doing that and friends see you doing that, sometimes they want to join. So it does become like almost a volunteer effort. Yeah. But there is in my state of Rhode Island, like an organization called Cozy Roadie Litter Cleanup Group. And there, they formed out of the end of the pandemic as a way to get people together and do something good. And I joined that group for a bit and helped out with my understanding of what trash cleanups were. And then I'm moving on to other things because I love new adventures and stuff. But that's a wonderful example of civil society reorganizing, people getting together to do a good thing. And then after you celebrate it by grabbing a coffee or maybe going out and getting a beer after. I think that is what has helped a lot of people, I guess, combat loneliness in Rhode Island in a way. Lovely. That's great. Yeah. And loneliness. Yeah. Sometimes you can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels good. Like, all right, I can be amongst people, but I always don't have to be with them. It's... It, how do I put it? Maybe that's the introverted side of me. No. <laughs> sure. But yeah. That's very different from a sense of loneliness in a group or in a community or in a relationship, partnership that 
that sense of not feeling connected to even the people that you're closest with. Yes. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I, I'm sure you've observed that amongst your cohort and stuff like that. I've seen it. And I think one of the, just before we move on from the topic, play, laughter, improv, I think are all tools for combating that sense and yes. creating a different kind of bond. Yeah. I think with play and laughter and humor, I think comedy is probably the easiest way to access that, but to be in a 38 year old man and to figure out, wait, how do I play? That mm -hmm. takes vulnerability. Yeah. Um, I think I have a couple of Nerf guns in the background here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's some random stuff, but like that is how like I will be like, oh, okay, it's time to play. Woo! Or I do improv with the Bring Your Own Improv in Warwick, Rhode Island. Yeah, That's a great way to play. But that takes a vulnerability. And that can be one of the hardest things for people to really get past in order to connect. Okay. Agreed. Yeah. And here so, we are trying to figure all that out. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> we got a tool. All right. Okay. Tell us a little bit about BYOI, the B Bring Your Own Improv. And I saw, we're, okay, sorry, I, you've been stalked by me on social media. I love your jokes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> They're awesome. Were, were you developing an ESL class for uh, using improv? So, so it's, I had done a couple of those projects with Willuera during the pandemic, accessibility to things like that were available online and it's like all right where am i not seeing improv in certain communities and one of those is the spanish-speaking community like accessibility is a huge issue and what I, one of my projects was to see if i can get a, a spanish-speaking instructor to teach a class for people who might be interested in the spanish-speaking community i'm going i'm trying to reorganize another series of those classes in for once a month through in september through december I'm still lining up some of those resources and then I need to put the marketing together. But I'm really excited about that sort of thing because in the state of Rhode Island, we have seven or eight different improv communities and they're largely English speaking. And they tend to be, the majority tends to be men, white men. So like we're limiting our market by just reaching out to those, that community. And I'd love to see more dynamic, creative force that is fostered in Rhode Island as a result of just providing improv as, as a thing. But the big thing that I see with improv and resilience is that, or from my experience as a firefighter, the ability to create something from nothing can be very powerful, especially in a situation where you feel like you've lost everything and you have to call emergency services. Doing it in a sensitive way, doing it in a way that is cathartic is also important because you can't just be like, hey, guys, oh, wow, it looks like you lost everything with fire. Oh, guess what I have? I have jokes. No, it's not like that. But the, the, the process of improvisational creativity versus improv comedy, I think, can be a powerful and cathartic way to help us process certain things. I wouldn't call it therapy, definitely not therapy, but I think that it has a purpose in maybe emotional first aid. Oh, for sure. And I want to go back to your Spanish, as a Spanish speaker, 
I think one way to integrate the community to bring both groups together could be a Spanglish opportunity. Spanglish yeah. improv, where yeah, I love that idea. They can translate a little bit. They can use Hispanic words. They can play with the language, and some of it we know already, right? Yeah. The non-Spanish yeah. speakers. Tequila. Um, tequila. <laughs> da, 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 sorry. <laughs> okay, you have something in common with a guest that we've had, who's in the Ukraine now. A big shout out to Sergei Vilashansky, because yep. he use he has a online program to help people develop class classes for ESL using improv. And so he's mm -hmm. collected a bunch of games and he has lesson plans. It's uh, improversity. He looked for games that involved a lot of non nonverbal. Yeah. Interaction. Yes. Okay. And yeah. That, you know, you know, that helps a lot because it's a common, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be bilingual to, to play some of these games. Um, I would love to learn more about this and connect more over the, after the episode. And if I need to, I'll invent a time machine to send myself a note six months from before so I can like really get into it. That sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. And okay, so that I also noticed that you've been doing a little bit of running recently. Yes, we're not. So the resilience piece was this plays into it because when I was 16, I ran my first marathon. Wow. I, wow. Definitely, in the perspective of other high school classmates may have been different, but I was like, I did my own thing in high school. Like, I might have joined the cross-country team and track, but I did my six-mile run. I'm like, I'm training for the marathon. So that was a big thing. And running for me has been, even when I was younger, a way to process emotions and physiological part of it where you have the increase in endorphins and like positive, I think serotonin too, I'm not entirely sure, but there are a plethora of benefits to that. So like, I've always been a big runner. And when I, like, I think there's an organization I volunteered with about 10 years ago called Dream Far High School Marathon Team. And they're based out of Newton, Massachusetts, where They've expanded their program to a couple of more than a couple of high schools, but they teach non-athletes to run a marathon safely. And it's running for me has been fitness, I think, is an important part of uh, how I identify with my resilience. But I think fitness for some people is hard. And I, I, instead, I like to think of it as movement. And I, I can relate to that because I entered my first marathon when I was 16. And uh, yeah, wow. I'm going to finish next Thursday. <laughs> Yay! It looks like you're finishing safely. That's important. <laughs> you got to stay within your limits here. So if you had to run a long race, where would you want to run it? So it's almost like a where would you take your vacation? But oh. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I would run it actually back in my old neighborhood, Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, because you could you could run along docks. It wasn't too far from the parks. You could see a lot of things. Also, it was just nice to be out in the salt air. If you want to go on to the beach, there's a little community called Manhattan Beach nearby. I'm glad you brought up the connection between physical resilience, emotional resilience, and humor, because I think they these Venn diagrams overlap. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kate, where would you run a marathon if, if you had almost a vacation? But... The beaches of LA. Ooh. Because it's the weather's perfect. Yeah. You have sand or sidewalk, and you can go long distances. Mm. 
I'm sensing a city theme here. I was going to go, I wouldn't mind running on the moon, but that's because I have run marathons. <laughs> but I'm definitely connecting with my inner space cadet. Yay! Oh my God. Yay! You know what else? On the moon, you weigh less. That's and true. Each, each run is each leg goes a little further. This is making so much sense now. That's why I would do it on a trampoline with a yes. harness, a bungee harness. Talk about play. Like I <laughs> like and like movement and physical and emotional resiliency. I, a trampoline park for me, like, yes. Oh my goodness. Except I can't go as like a 38 year old man because it's normally like people 20 years younger than me at most. Oh, but yes, you can. Well, I'll go with friends and stuff, but I just like, I don't want to like accidentally launch someone farther because I'm like. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's part of the fun. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Space connect. Flying out in the atmosphere. <laughs> so in your career as a firefighter, do you get a chance to use humor? Yes, all the time. But I, the nuances are important. There's like kitchen table conversations where we'll talk about the job. And a lot of the times humor is a way to process certain difficult calls or to address what we would want to see improvements in the team we're working with. Um, other times it can be unabashedly random. Like sometimes I'll have a call where we're responding to a, a person who like maybe 80, 85 and they've fallen. And I, I go in there with this compassion and like holding a hand, like, did you fall? And then the patient goes, what do you think? And I, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and you start a conversation like, yeah, so humor finds itself in different ways, but the, the application of it can be important because like good comedy punches up doesn't punch down how do you process that sort of thing through a, a joke i was at a go ahead no nope. oh, you go finish. ahead i was just gonna say my dad had als and something not everybody knows is that people with disabilities that fall down it's your job to go and help them get back up and you guys came a number of times when my dad fell down and my mom couldn't get him up and i just want to acknowledge that and say thank you for that and we in the fire service appreciate your support and a fall like that can be very dangerous so we there are times where the response after doing it so many times you begin to understand the language of assistance in that so i'm lucky to have worked and have had the opportunity to work in the job long enough where i can show up and have a good sense of how to safely bring the person back into a position of comfort. Love that. But it yeah. occurs to me that a, a fire call is really an improv exercise. You knock on the door, you don't know what's on the other side of it, what kind of mood they're going to be in, what the situation is. You have to have an improvisational mindset to, to do these. The first rule of improv is yes. And I'll tell you, when it's 1.30 and you're, you get a call and your brain's, Whoop, hold on, let me wake up. Like you have to yes and it just accept it for what it is that can be difficult after a long day because you know the information you're getting is from a phone call and it's verbal and the person who's giving the information is generally in a place of 
maybe their cognitive processes are not accessible as much because of like a state of panic, but like when you show up, it could be anything. And I'm lucky to work in a city where we're next to a, we're, we're it's right next to Boston. And so we have a really good community of firefighters who can assist and stuff like that, but it never, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it could be a, like a call for a general illness, but someone's like bonk, bonked their head and like they're on blood thinners and they're, there's a lot of, yeah, it, it, it could, it changes by day. And I'm very grateful to have that opportunity to serve in this way. I have researched you, but this is an off topic question. Sure. I'm a fan of station 19. How realistic is that? Which switched? Oh, so I, don't, I, the, I, I, one of my favorite things to do is have side jobs. So I honestly don't watch a lot of TV. Where would station nine is station 19 from like Chicago fire? Where's that? It's uh, Grey's Anatomy, Seattle. Oh, okay. Hmm. I'll tell you this from what I've seen in Chicago fire. It's, um, it's a little bit less dramatic than that. It's quite, <laughs> yeah. 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 Like the things that happen are, it's the way I would describe the fire service is we are paid too much for the work we do and paid too much for the work we don't do and too little for the work we do. So it balances out. Like there might be time, very quiet times, but there's other times where it's 90 degrees, humidity, the dew points is 75 and you got like your gear on. And I'm lucky because I drive the truck now. So I put the gear on less, but the, my coworkers, they have to, and they're sweating bullets and just like... Within 30 seconds, they're already coated in like a fine layer of sweat. So it's it really is like a hurry up and wait. Get to work and then do the work, do the maintenance, do the paperwork, finish the inspections if you have them. And then occasionally there's down times where it's like, all right, <laughs> ping pong or cards. What are we gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Who's cooking dinner? Right. Tommy? Oh no, t- t- not t- Tim? Tim's cooking. <laughs> The last time you did those drumsticks, it was pretty bad. I don't cook drumsticks anymore. Mm. Gotcha. I, one idea, I think we need to copyright an improv game here, and it's going to be called Fire Call, where two players are the are in fire services, and they go into a room, and they don't know what the situation is, and then the other, yeah, the, other, the players in the room know what the situation is, and the people doing the fire call have to figure out what the problem is. Okay. Okay. Yeah, got to do that. The other way to, I'm thinking of this is to have it done at random. So if a group is doing a scene and is not going anywhere, that the the facilitator can ring a fire bell and uh, two of the players are volunteer firefighters and they have to go answer answer a problem someplace else. So, okay. All right, we'll develop that. Enough of that. Do you ever use improv games in the fire station while you're just you're waiting around? It's, you haven't had a call for a couple hours. You got some time to kill. Let's do some one word at a time. I think we use improvisational creativity in our scenarios or tabletop scenarios. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll go over a call that happened and be like, "What could we have done better?" Yes, and then this. Yes, and that. Yeah. But I don't integrate a lot of my improv games because I'm still waiting for some of my coworkers to come to a show. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully they don't hear this because then they're going to be like, yeah, well, what about all those other things you said? Kill away. Like, oh, all right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but my favorite thing to do is to, uh, there's a couple of, um, 
I would guess uh, I call them saltier individuals who, who they there's thick skins and thin skins. And sometimes there are firefighters who can tease, but maybe they can't get teased as much. But there's a couple of guys that I really like to be like, hey, what's going on? Hey, guess what? Like I would, we should do a comedy duo. You'd be the, you'd be the, the serious guy and I'd be the wacky goofball. And <laughs> it's a great little theme to start the morning because people love looking forward to that sort of dynamic. I love it because he, the, my favorite, I would guess my favorite teammate in that comedy duo, he'd be like, no, done. No, like, we are not funny. And I just, I love it. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, so. I see that you do a lot of writing on your website that's associated with medium.com. Yeah. And one of your quotes is improv is not about giving up as long as it's a healthy effort. Yes. Say more. First off, let me just process all of that because I'm very grateful for, thank you for sharing that and that whole process of discovery. For me, I think improv has very much been about learning how to fail gracefully. Mm. Like improv is about when you're first starting this sort of thing, it's about discovery. And I think improv in almost a therapeutic sense, you can explore certain things like a scenario that involves a failure of some sort. Maybe the house is almost burnt down and you have to respond to a house that's almost fully burnt down or in my consideration i think improv is about just accepting failure and being okay with that sometimes the scene doesn't work out that's like like when my my comedy teammate says you're not funny that's all right i can still take that and he might not laugh at a joke but everyone else around that table is i think grateful at least for the sort of comedy that's derived from that. I also was really excited to go to a, it was a networking event at the AATH online and through Zoom, and they talked about dad jokes. And I think that's a relatively new concept that is originated in the United States. Because when I was hearing like people from other countries ask what a dad joke is, it, for me, it seems commonplace, yeah. but for me, a dad joke to me is like a form of weaponized failure. It's it's great because if you want to try a dad joke, you know it's already bad, but you say it anyways, and it's a way to practice just being okay with failure. So you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Everyone's <laughs> heard that. And and just saying that out loud can might be a way to practice. It's okay to not have to be successful all the time. Like... It can just be for the pure practice of it because even the delivery of a dad joke in different ways can be a learning experience. And, that, and in that case, if success is one of the best ways to learn, why not try that? You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Saying those two things and seeing the response. That's what I think improv is choosing to be as accepting as possible of the outcome, but still trying to yes and it to add something and to make your team look good. Okay. Your comment that a dad joke is weaponized failure yes. needs to be on a plaque cast in bronze and given to every every dad and aspiring dad. That is that is 
That is a brilliant synopsis. I hope we can also call it mom jokes too, or parent jokes, because yeah. just limiting it to dad jokes, sometimes someone might want to say an Uncle Tim joke. At least that's what <laughs> yeah. my niece calls it. <laughs> so are you that uncle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will. I don't. So in my family, I grew up with a family of three boys, four boys. So I'm one of three brothers. And like, there, there's one joke or like tease I do where I'll be like, I'll pretend to take food from her plate. And then she'll look at me with those killer eyes and be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. Because growing up with four boys, that you got to hog your food. You have to eat it fast or else it's gone. <laughs> so those are Uncle Tim jokes and stuff like that. Guess what I had, nie my niece? I had garlic. Ah, who wants a hog? And she's like, yeah. I, it's come to the point where she now asks if I have had garlic when I come visit in the morning. And I'm just like... <laughs> What do you think? No, it was coffee. <laughs> it's, it's silly. Okay. okay, so humor goes on a spectrum from the gentle, the, the dead joke area. The, but <clears throat> I understand that in, I used to work in sewage treatment plants. So we saw a lot of interesting things. Yes. yes. There's a type of humor that happens in the break room, at the fire station, in the toilet humor. Yeah, that cannot be shared with the general public because it's almost like you have to be there to appreciate it. That's um, a part of it. So the, there are differing levels of sensitivities amongst firefighters. Some have thicker skins than others. Some grew up with brothers, with sisters alone. Their experiences really color the way they process humor. But there's one thing that I tend to do when maybe we're all at the fire station and the younger guys are on their phones. And I'll just, you know, I pull out my uh, my fart soundboard on my smartphone, and then I just hit one button, and I, it's just like the chaotic part of me. Now, I don't do it very frequently because it, it ruins the joke, but like some kinds of toilet humor can honestly be a, a good break from the boredom or the monotony of it, or it can just be that little piece of humor that. It can be that little piece of humor that takes someone out of their stress level for a minute. And I think that's the best part about humor and comedy is if it's done appropriately, it can be a little bit of a break, the more difficult parts of life. Your logo that you've put on your website is Impact Resiliency. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's an old brand and I'm... Um, trying to figure out what to do with it now, but it is with my, how would I put it? I call it ADHD, <laughs> not ADHD, because I've been very fortunate to have very supportive parents and a network of people that will help guide me on my inspirations and impact resiliency is one of them, but it's now... I'm looking at different ways to use that because impact resiliency is like, it, I feel like it is a kind of a cool brand, but like, how do you communicate that to clients or customers in a way? And what do those two words mean put together to you? To me, it means how can that make an impact on someone? Like, where can I experience your world and make adjustments or recommendations on what might help you overcome the challenges you have. I, Lovely. I think with my 
curiosity, I've been able to take on a lot of different side jobs and understand. I think understanding a person's perspective is very important for me because with humor and comedy and improvisational creativity, there's ways to optimize the comedy, the comedic effect, which that sounds very dehumanizing in a way, but I don't want someone to spend as if someone spends time in that place that is lonely, that is disconnected, it can be difficult to be there all the time. So how can I help with that? I love it. The improv is not about giving up statement. Should your doctor prescribe comedy to fight illness? And we know now what laughter does for pain, what laughter does for stress, what Im- and the way we bond through improv and all of that. And I just think what you've done on your website is quite powerful. Thank you. Yeah, it's only one part of a larger bit, network of things. And I was really excited to learn that the ATH was out there. And like, I'd listened to LaughBox for years before, you know what, I'm going to join this. And it ended up being that my my partner is went with going to Arizona the same weekend that the ATH had a conference. And I wanted to support them in their work and because they're very supportive of my work too. And not even that, just like the work that they're doing is amazing in terms of behavioral health and working with weight stigma and stuff like that. But like the ATH too is such a wonderful organization and we're still trying to figure out how to research positive psychology as opposed to let's figure out depression and anxiety and stuff like that. Like what about the other end of this emotional spectrum? that we can look at there's not even i don't think there's enough words to describe the particular kinds of joy that are out there i remember andy huberman talking about delight oh that sounds good if i was having some ice cream would i be joyful or delighted yeah katie jim bob like the work that you're doing by reaching out to people and asking for their story and sharing that is that's the important thing because it brings to light the possibility of something more being out there than just hey here is a prescription and you can spend an hour a week with this one person that you don't know you might have a good rapport with or not so i think it's that's important which by the way i recommend therapy for everyone but therapy is different for each person and yeah I do maintenance work when I know I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, my emotions are getting too heavy for me to handle. Yeah, good point. Good point. It's not about pushing them aside. It's about alternatives, but we still have to feel our feelings. Exactly. Yeah, that's a big part is with my personal understanding of having friends who've gone through addiction and stuff, you see maybe that they're using that to suppress what they're feeling and it really being able to express those emotions to feel them and to complete that circuit to complete and finish feeling those emotions is important i know i didn't do a good job doing that and it's been a learning process and it's something i'm still developing to feel where were you on 9 11. i was in the, I was close to, I think, Mr. Moore's history class as a junior in high school. And I just heard that someone had flown a building into New York City, built, flown a plane into New York City buildings. And I was like, what? 
and it just I think it was Newton North High School and the hallway was adjacent to Lowell Ave and the entrance that was closer to the Mass Pike than farther. So yeah. Third floor. And then after that, I had skipped school. Sorry. Sorry, parents, mom and dad. And I walked with a couple of friends close to our park and we talked about what was going on. Did that experience affect your decision to become a firefighter? I would attribute a lot of my work and resiliency to the important narrative that my mom had instilled in me when I was younger. I had a medical issue where the doctors diagnosed that I probably wouldn't have been able to read when I was older. My mom and my dad both have an incredible instinct for education combined with the Achille brand of stubbornness. And the way that my mom helped me to learn language and reading was she would take her finger and she would write the letters on, the, on my back as a way to process the information. And by the time I was in first grade or second grade, I was reading like adult level Star Wars uh, fiction. Wow. Uh, and from that, it came this narrative of challenge. Of, even when you were younger, things were going, might be harder for you. And I think that is the same narrative that pushed me to try a marathon at 16 and to also have it be, I guess, a sense of freedom is like accessibility is freedom. It's the choice to be able to do improv as a Spanish speaker or attend a baseball game as a person who's confined to a wheelchair. So like that, that wanting to be a firefighter, I think was a way of being like, okay, how can I how am I achieving that sense of self and fulfillment? And I think the resilience also be like, for me, it was inspired by comic books too, except I can't jump tall buildings or not bulletproof. So I was like, all right, I'll be a firefighter instead. I was very lucky with that. Because you could repel off tall buildings. Exactly. Yeah, that was, there are coworkers who will do a better job of that than me. So I will just say that. Much better job. I can do it, but there are other coworkers who that there's guys who are seriously passionate about this job. And it's beautiful to see that. And they're aware of the, there are some that are aware of the differences in their life and how it, it approaches. And then there's others that are just like single-minded determined, but I'm really lucky to be inspired by that too. And also held accountable. So for those that are within sound of our voices right now, and they want to know more and talk to you about nothing. How can they get in contact with you? Sure. You can reach out to me with my Instagram. I'm Timothy Killalay. It's all one word. I'm also exploring culture, agriculture, economics, food security, soil nutrition through an Instagram account called Potato Based Economy. Potato Based Economy. Okay. Yes. And I have a couple of other projects coming up, but I'm going to announce that on like social media later on. Okay. Your website, is that still current? Yes, I write articles a lot less than I used to on Medium, but like Medium can be a place where you can also access me and read up a little bit about my experiences, side jobs. And I think I, I want to talk a little bit in the future about the bacteria that are currently metabolizing plastic. Mm -hmm. 
So that's uh, the improvisational creativity is working around that potential. Is that a vector in the future? But anyways, I could get into that, but that's like a... Let me just share your website, timothykillalay.medium.com. Thank you. Yeah. And that too, please give me a follow. Give me a, <laughs> just disagree with something and be like, Hey, here's some alternate research that proves differently because I would love to learn. That's, I love being, I think accountability is important and it's important to also have a, be engaged in different perspectives. Yeah. Okay. The question I have to ask, we talked about a lot of ideas. Today. Yes. If you're somebody asked a question there, what difference does humor make on Thursday? On Thursday. It's a typical day of the week. So another side job I have is I have my dad out of the parking lot. And when yeah. I'm working on a Thursday, I'm like, you're past hump day. You got this. Like, you can make it to Friday. And then <laughs> even then, maybe you can leave early. I don't know. But that, that, that a Thursday is perfect. Is it thirsty Thursday? Is it hydrated Thursday? I don't know. I think that there's plenty of ways to, to work it around. You know what? At least it's not Friday. You still got another day. You can whine about things before the weekend. <laughs> so great and since your website's still current i'm just gonna what you really appreciate timothy killay is a good conversation yes feel free oh. to comment on his website and he will try and get back with you he wants to keep updated on the development of impact resiliency whatever comes next yeah whatever comes next i'm also a big fan of dinner table conversations i think food's a great way to connect over things and who doesn't like potato chips? Unless you have an allergy to nightshades, which I get. Yeah, the whole food is one of the original ways we connected. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I could go way down that rabbit hole, but uh, yeah. I'm a foodie. Let's oh, go. I yeah. one of my side jobs was I was the assistant to the founder of a paleo bakery. Oh, <gasps> mm. yes. So, lot, lots of I love side jobs. It's it's kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, I consider writing a book about your side jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Next level side jobs. It could be like a, I don't know, like a hustle, hustle economy or something. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I couldn't. I don't think I like writing, but it's yeah. just experiencing is the most important thing. So I encourage everyone out there who's listening to this. If it's safe, consider the experience as long as before, as long as it's safe and it has your consent, maybe it's not a bad thing. Uh, are you in the Humor Academy? Not yet. No, I have to okay. sign up for a bunch of different things. But the Humor Academy, I think, would be a next level, like, increaser of my talents because the ATH is something I'm still, it's, there's a depth to it that I still have not reached its deepest part yet. So I have a question. Would you rather scuba dive for a bicycle or rappel off a tower? Scuba dive for a bicycle because then I'm at the beach. Uh -huh. And... Hopefully the bicycle's probably close enough to the beach, so I could be like get a tan after, <laughs> nice. and then I could do my own beach run because the sand oh. is sand's not bad for a run or a long walk. But yeah, I would scoop it out. That is a great question. I should have. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Ooh, I, I, can I ask the both of you a question? Yes. Of course. So it's it's in we do featured audience members that bring your own improv and work, and we always ask a, interview some people for in the inspiration of the show. My my question that I love to lead into is what is your favorite chair? And it's it's such a I'll continue while the thoughts percolate. It's such an interesting question because we all have to sit. So it's like where would that would it be? Is it a specific environment? Is it a scenario? Is it like season? 
if someone's favorite chair is their office chair, I'd be like, we might have to figure something out. Okay, well, I, I can answer that. Okay. And a lot of chairs ran through my mind before I could settle on the best one. I have a rocker chair. Actually, I don't have it anymore. But it was you know, designed for a child, maybe three or four years old. And I had a rocking chair like that. And I would sit and I'd read golden books and whatnot. And it was just a, it was my little niche. And when my nephew came to live with us, that he liked that chair. And each of my sons had a chair like that. And, and so that, it just has a symbolic and reading it. I can't fit it in anymore, but it's my favorite chair. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's great. So I went through a number of scenarios as well. And I came up with, I think my favorite chair is my camping. I'm on the road, right? I live in a van. 7,000 feet, Big Bear Mountain in the San Bernardino Mountains in my camping chair cooking dinner. Oh, that's <laughs> so much better than the rock on top of a mountain. <laughs> wow. Those are great answers. Oh, my goodness. It was nice. You actually took me there. Hey. Yeah, I did a little dance around the chair. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, like that that chair involved a lot by myself at 7,000 feet. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a way to express your joy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you. This has been lovely speaking with you. You have a really interesting perspective being in the hero arts, so to speak. And thank you so much for all that you do on a daily basis, helping people. Thank you for that. And I will, do want to say I'm a, that word hero can be taken away, but I'm always going to try and earn that. And that part of it comes with accountability. Yeah. And thank you, Jim, Bob. And thank you, Katie, for the opportunity. This was, you ask such good questions and I'm, I feel like I'm in a space now where other people have been after a Laugh Box podcast where it's, wow, just thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank and you. on behalf of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Giver, <laughs> this has been Laugh Box. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And we want to thank Timothy Kalele for giving us a great discussion on resilience and so much more. Thank you and take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for episode 110 with Timothy Hillelay, Jim Bob Williams, and Katie B. Thank you very much. This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time.